man. There's a beverage here, huh? Does anybody here know how many times I've had to watch Funny Lady? I'm gonna get that gun of mine, and I'm gonna change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Who Shot Ya? I'm your host, Ify Wadiway, and I'm in the virtual booth with my friends right now as we uh, socially distance when we still getting in these movies so first up we're gonna talk about my good friend sitting looking very studious uh if y'all could see the background all the books looking good as always alonzo Duralde. alonzo what's good oh hey iffy um i'll tell you what's good i we just received in the mail uh this year's uh commemorative Manischewitz coconut macaroon tin covered with images from uh the marvelous mrs Maisel. Oh, <laughs> and I got to okay. say, I love how like Mrs. Maisel has decided we're going to own Passover. <laughs> so last year, they, apparently, like there's there's a there's a thing called the the Haggadah, and maybe I'm pronouncing that wrong. Um, that is, it, it it's a a booklet with sort of information about Passover and the prayers and you know the stuff that you say at your seder and what you serve and all that stuff. And for years and years, Maxwell House Coffee. Um, has published that book and and you know has very sort of strong ties with the American Jewish community. And then last year they put out a branded Mrs. Maisel Haggadah uh, with her like her brisket recipe and whatnot. And now this year Manischewitz is doing the Mrs. Maisel macaroons. And I just love that this holiday has suddenly like there is this huge tv show that's decided when you think about passover you're going to think about the marvelous mrs Maisel, and i just admire that kind of synergy that's oh, solid yeah. marketing right there yes. <laughs> yeah yeah no they they i will say out of all the amazon shows the mrs Maisel marketing has been on point uh i've in when they were for i think it was season two when they were giving out gas for really cheap because they were giving like 1950s yeah yeah i got i I got the free sandwich one day when they were doing (sighs) deli delivery if anybody Uh, at amazon wants to send me that the game of life that's branded to mrs Maisel, i will uh, i will play it on a podcast (laughs) (laughs) oh well that other voice that that, i always get to say this and i love that i can but that other will not be held back from my segment (laughs) is of course none other than drea clark drea what's good it's because i like a conversational vibe you guys it's not it's not because i'm a horrible interrupter <laughs> budinsky it's, i think is the technical term i'm, I'm a total budinsky um okay what is good with me is so baseline like dorky and so me But basically, as we've been watching more and more stuff with more and more time in front of screens, I finally succumbed and got a subscription to Acorn TV, which I'm convinced was made entirely for me. It is all like British and the Commonwealth shows, mysteries, comedies, dramas. This girl has been watching... Well, and I had to get it because I exhausted all of my Agatha Christie's marples because all I want to do at night is just like cozy up with an octogenarian lady detective, as many do. Um, So in addition to like Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries, which I've talked about before and adore, Acorn also has something called Brokenwood Mysteries, which is a New Zealand detective show. And then the creator of Shameless has another detective show called No Offense 
with a C, mm, of, of course, course, which is like and it has a bunch of women uh, detectives, which I love. But then it has gripping reality shows like Village of the Year, where an <laughs> old woman runs real life quirky competitions. It's like all of the weirdest parts that Edgar Wright references in <laughs> um, Hot Fuzz. It's that. But it's you- a reality show. And it's real. You should check out Loch Ness. That's uh, O'Brien from Downton Abbey. Uh, with It is the dampest procedural you've ever seen. It is a <laughs> Scottish detective show, and it is like never not pouring rain. Yes. <laughs> Damp is what I'm looking for. However, I do like everything with just, I you know, it just needs to be mysteries that are comfortably solved over a cuppa. Mm. Because anything darker, I cannot do. I just want... Really nicely uh, manicured lawns, a village green. 24 seasons of Midsummer Murders are waiting for you. Oh, I have, I am into those. Yes. (laughs) Anyway, Acorn TV is what's good with me. Iffy, Iffy, what's what's good good? with you? The the saga continues. uh, The quarantine buys continues. But... I've transitioned from anime to now I need to get my 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 staples of just actual film, cinema, media, <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, and Blu-rays, uh, which means that obviously uh, the the latest to the Blu-ray collection has been the Big Lebowski Blu-ray, which I own the DVD, but I wanted the 20th edition 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray, the Rush Hour Trilogy, which has the, an amazing cover art. Uh, and it really, it, I forget how strong that trilogy was. I mean, the third movie kind of wasn't as strong as the first two, but I great, you know, fish out of water, odd couple cop uh, comedy. And of course... The final purchase in this trio, you know, of this trilogy of purchases is the Fast and Furious 7 movie collection on Blu-ray oh. to, to cap it off. Uh, and uh, we're, we're going through and we're just getting the classics first. The we're going to work with, and, and we're just working our way to the more contemporary mainstream. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I love it so much. I was like. Ooh, this is interesting. If he's going to reveal his new Blu-ray purchases, oh, and they're classics? What <laughs> shall he bring away? Oh, the entirety of Fast and the Fear. First off, I fully approve of all of these. And I think one of my biggest life regrets will be that I was not the person who pitched a buddy cop franchise starring Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker. Like, oh, yeah. that is a pairing I would have been thrilled to have put my name behind. Um, was, it, I wish the rest of the world could have seen Alonzo's face, though, as you <laughs> just listed those films. Oh, look, I've still never seen Lebowski, so I got no opinion. Really? On that. Yeah. I know, oh, I know. It's the gasp moment. I, no, but that's I feel, exciting. But I, but I feel like just because you've it, seen everything. But I feel like it's too late to see it for the first time. You know what I mean? Like yeah. everyone else has seen it ten thousand times. So who am I to see it once? <laughs> you uh, literally yeah. live in a bubble right now. This is your time, man. I suppose yeah, yeah. so. This is true. Uh, well, well, audiences, what's a, what's an audience? Um, <laughs> 
but you know, and, and and the fast movies. I love the fast movies, but oh, God, I'm sorry, Rush. I, look, I started going to see Jackie Chan movies when they in like in the '90s when it was the thing that like the new art or whoever would like bring him in for a week and like you yeah. know all the the Sammo Hung movies and and Choi Hark and 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 John Woo and stuff. So by the time he gets back to Hollywood for the second go around, it's like you're not doing any of these things anymore, are you, old man? Like I I admire the fact that you're faking it, but like I've seen you do. I saw all the, I saw all those closing credits where you broke every bone in your body. So like, I get it. You are allowed to take it easier now, but like, let's not maintain the facade. Come on. On today's show, we're going to be talking about Tiger Tail, which, uh, oh man, I'm just going to save it, but I have lots of beautiful thoughts. Uh, a call from the Who Shot line, and of course, we got some staff picks for you, but. First, since, uh, you know, uh, our, our new segment, Itadick, is also in social isolation and staying six feet away from us, it's time for our new segment. This is your movie life. I do it worse every time. Uh, <laughs> so with, with movie production halted and movie releases, uh, movie releases being, being pushed back, our new sources have gone super dry for Itadick. So in the coming weeks, we're going to take a voyage through our lives and discuss the films that have shaped who we are today. And since this is our third week of the segment, we're going to be discussing the pivotal high school years. So let's start with Drea. What were you into in high school and what movie shaped who you were? Um, I feel like it's pretty clear who I was in high school because <laughs> she was not that much different than who I am now. Which is not a brag. That's not a like, oh, I still fit into my prom dress. That's a, yep, this has always been what's happening for me. Um, I also mentioned when we talked about the film Booksmart last year that Beanie Feldstein's character was very much speaking mm -hmm. to me. Um, so, yes, I have always been a uh, strident, opinionated gal, uh, not afraid to talk in front of a group of people. Um, but I also like I was a theater kid and as well as some sports and had friends in a bunch of different pockets. And I was at student council and ambassadors and I still craved the approval of authority figures that I do now. You know, it's my cross to bear, you guys. Um, I've been trying to shirk that for years. So. Similar to my junior high pick, I was in. I remember in high school watching this and being like, oh, this is what college college represents to me. And also it had a female character that both could not be further for me in the sort of it's still within the like white girl going to college range. But there were similarities. And that film was Reality Bites. I was obsessed with Reality Bites. I loved that movie. I still love that movie. Um. Ben Stiller directed it and is one of the stars. It's Winona Ryder and Ethan Hawke and Janine Garofalo and Steve Zahn. Zahn. Steve Zane. Sure. No, Steve Zahn, who's from Minnesota. I, I should I should know better. Um, the humor of it, the idea of they were like, oh, to me, it was the coolest. They're sort of like philosophically nihilistic, but also just, you know white kids from the suburbs like there was something relatable and something wonderful i loved i very much ethan Hawke's character um set an incredibly horrible standard for me of the um the wide sort of leeway i would give 
dirty musician or philosophical types with the thought that they could be redeemed by the end. Though in real life, they never are. They're <laughs> always just the shitty first act versions of themselves. And that's a life lesson. But yeah, Reality Bites. Also, you guys, Melrose Place was a really great show. <laughs> that's my favorite line. Uh, have we firmly established that, sh- that, that Winona Ryder should have wound up with Ben Stiller in that movie? Oh, right? I mean... <laughs> We have not, but I've definitely, the amount of times that I've spent with different groups talking about, like, what, how long Lainey and, oh my god, I can't believe I don't remember Ethan Hawke's name, I said it so many times, but how long the two of them lasted after their, like, getting together and the last shot. Seven months tops. Yeah, I'm like, I'll tell you exactly how it worked. For sure that guy cheated on her. Like, (laughs) it's just a very clear trajectory but it's also i think it's a really it is a really strongly written um and it's by this it was written by this woman helen childress it's the only film that she's done um or was credited for and i i think it had she had a lot of similarities with winona's character and so there's all this interesting meta elements of like ben stiller um working with the script of this woman who then didn't go on to do much and how much anyway there's so much i just really enjoy reality bites plus there's a violent femmes cover by ethan hawk who doesn't want that in their life who um <laughs> don't you no is don't that, answer is, is that a rhetorical Not, none question? of you answer <gasps> yes hey that's my bike one of the best band names ever oh next to dingo ate my baby from buffy oh. <laughs> um yeah so that's that's my high school is just imagining that i would somehow be winona rider in college Ooh, love it all right alonzo what you thinking what you got uh, cooked up golly well high school you know um uh, was obviously that that's sort of when your friends start driving and they can start driving you to theaters and you can start getting into R-rated movies even if you aren't 17 yet because you can sort of pull it off or the theater kid doesn't care. Um, so, uh, you know, for me, it was a mix of... Uh, that's when I really started going to, like, art house movies. You know, like, I would I saw Siskel and Ebert review My Dinner with Andre. I was like, oh, I gotta go see that. You know? In high school? In high God, school. God, that makes it even better. Uh, you know, uh, I, when, when Fanny and Alexander came out, I think that was, like, one of the first R-rated movies I bluffed my way into. Um... You know, so uh, Diva, I remember my brother taking me to see this French film called Diva that is really like, it's exceedingly early 80s, I'm sure if you look at it now, but super stylish and and like, you know, it was like my first major sort of subtitled movie and I felt very cosmopolitan seeing it. Um, And then also, because, you know, I was in high school from 80 to 84, uh, it was the beginning of like the teen movie explosion. So like... I remember, like, I saw 16 Candles at the end of my senior year in high school, which couldn't have been, like, more perfect. Uh, but I would say the one, the, the the movie that I was obsessed with my entire senior year, I saw it right before the year started. And I saw it, I think, like, 10 times in the theater that year because there were so many aspects of it that I related to. Uh, and you'll laugh, but uh, Risky Business. <laughs> um, I love it! The, just the, the the whole like pressure that he's under about like getting into a good school, you know, and all the stuff that that is tied into that, just down to the moment of like, there's the scene where he takes his father's Porsche out when he's not supposed to, and the Tangerine Dream score is throbbing, and he's like backing up, backing up, slowly the driveway, and then stops, and the music stops, 
And there's a pause. And then he has to start the car again because he stalled. And I was like, oh, my God. I was learning to drive stick that year, and I was constantly stalling. So when that happened in the movie, I, like, <laughs> screamed laughing with recognition. So, uh, yeah, you know, young Tom Cruise, not hard to look at either. So, um, <laughs> yeah, Risky Business. That was my that was my senior year of high school movie that was, like, super imprinted on me. And, again, where is Paul Brickman? What's he been up to? Like, he, he made a couple of films and then just disappeared. Did you ever do the pantsless slide? No. <laughs> I mean, I did other sort of, like, you know, you're at home by yourself and, you know, you're lip syncing or whatever. My moment was more like, years later, there's a joke in... Um, uh, a longtime companion where this couple of these two guys are moving in together and one of them catches the other one lip syncing to dream girls but it's like this you know white bearded guy the same thing happened to me uh, with my first boyfriend after college where he caught me lip syncing to um, be alone tonight from school days <laughs> <laughs> yes these are the personal oh. insights I live for there you go. Well, yeah, yeah. iffy what do you got Oh man, I mean, just the high school years really are like I'm just looking through these movies. And I'm like, yeah, these are the things that built the the man you see today. This was about four with, or five years know. ago. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, with the first attempt, well, not technically the first attempt, but the first modern attempt at Spider-Man, the Tobey Maguire version mm. kicking off. We got, you know, Goth Bays and Underworld. We capped off, you know, Matrix. And then we end, you know, my high school year strong with Batman Begins, which is when Hollywood starts to get its superhero act together. But if I had to say what affected my my personal high school experience and it's it and it's a, it's because it packs a big punch was daredevil 2003's daredevil and there's reason with this one go and, on and it, in high school i thought it was tight and you put some jennifer garner in uh tight leather i'm in i'm not i'm sold but on the daredevil DVD special features. They had the whole video of Evanescence's Bring Me to Life on, and me and my buddy would play that on repeat in his house after school and jam out to that and then play video games. Like we'd, we'd have like a jam session where we listen to the song maybe two or three times and we'd switch off who sings what part and then we'd play like uh, Mystic Heroes or or Dragon Ball Z Budokai. Uh, and, and that was like a, 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 a ceremony and then like for some reason he was real into the Electra scene when she gets introduced so we would rewatch that scene and then go back into bring me to life it was a big it was a big thing i probably watched bring me to life over a thousand times wow. uh, so what you're really because- saying is that the formative movie of your high school career was actually a music video for evanescence <laughs> <laughs> Yes, but we did we did splice in some of our favorite Daredevil scenes in that tradition before we played some uh, Dragon Ball Z, Budokai, Budokai 2, Tenkaichi, uh, whichever version we had at the time. Did but you buy a ticket to the Electra movie? Oh, no, of course uh, okay. not. Okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, no. Like, by the time Electra started coming around, I was like, nah, this isn't as tight. Okay, <laughs> I will say, as a, I was a huge Alias fan, and I definitely bought a ticket to the Electra movie. Oh, that, make, yeah, and that I makes do, sense. I think Jennifer Garner was a fine Electra. There are many messes with that thing, but 
whatever. I watched enough interviews of her talking about how at the time she was getting up at 4.30 so that she could get in like a good hour and a half workout before oh her 10 hour shooting day. And I was like, okay, you earned this. <laughs> Oh, wow. All right. Uh, that was super fun. Yeah, I think I'm really liking this segment uh, because, yeah, we it's great. Also, I think what's cool is just knowing that Alonzo has always been this film head who's loved it. <laughs> like, 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 it feels like me and Dre are like, these are the things that were popping when we were kids. And Alonzo's like, I went, I trekked, I, I did the research, I went to the house theater. I, as a baby in diapers, I begged, I begged the, the kid to let me in to see this film. And it's believable. No oh, part yeah. of me doubts that he was like psyched oh, yeah. for diva. Like, <laughs> that is truth. When I was 11, oh. I made my mom drive me across town to a rep theater to see Citizen Kane for the first time. Stop it. Oh, my God. <laughs> Shut it down. <laughs> uh, we'll be right back after we hear from another show for Maximum Fun. Hey, everyone. It's I, John Hodgman of the Judge John Hodgman podcast. And I, Elliot Kalin of the Flophouse podcast. And we've made a whole new podcast, a 12-episode special miniseries called iPodius, in which we recap, discuss, and explore the very famous 1976 BBC miniseries about ancient Rome called I, Claudius. We've got incredible guests such as Gillian Jacobs, Paul F. Tompkins, as well as star of I, Claudius, Sir Patrick Stewart, and his son, non-sir Daniel Stewart. Don't worry, Dan, you'll get there someday. iPodius is the name of the show. Every week for MaximumFun.org for only 12 weeks. Get them at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back to Who Shot You? I'm your host, Ify Wadiway, and in the virtual booth with me are... Drea Clark. Alonzo Duraldi. And today we're talking about Tiger Tail. Alonzo, would you mind providing us with a synopsis? Oof, uh, okay, I'll give it a shot. So uh, Pinjui is a an older man who uh, we kind of get to see his life story um, as a as a child. He lived with his grand grandparents in a, an agricultural area of Taiwan while his mother was in the city trying to find work. Uh, later, he lived with her. He falls in love with a young with a girl in childhood who's also then goes to the city, but um, winds up going to America in an arranged marriage with a woman that he barely knows, and. Um, their relationship and his upbringing sort of colors the rest of his life, including their unhappy marriage and his sort of fraught relationship with his older daughter. Um, and, you know, over the course of the movie, through flashbacks, we sort of see him coming to terms with who he is and how he's gotten here and, and how he might mend that relationship moving forward. Mm. All right, we're going to kick this off with a bombshell of a question, but... <laughs> How did this story personally affect you? Well, it's interesting. Like, you know, I, and I think if he will agree with me on this, I think for people who have immigrant parents, like it presses a lot of buttons wherever it is they immigrated from. I think there's a lot about, you know, just the, the, the notion of, of people coming to the United States and starting over and not having friends and not speaking the language and just sort of like figuring out how it goes. Um, but other, I've also talked to like, you know, white folks who are you know like no this is about how your parents had a life before you were born and you don't always know what that was and you don't always know 
how the things in their past that shaped them shaped the way they were parents, you know? Yeah, I feel like that's a nicer take on 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 how I felt about it, which is how I feel that uh, immigrants' parents can tend to pass on their past traumas onto their children mm. and to how they view things. I think very specifically, what really shown out to me is he made this heart wrenching decision to uh, leave essentially what he felt was the person he loved for this uh, path that was going to bring him wealth and prosperity, or so he thought. I. It was a lot of thinking of my dad because I felt I felt my dad energy through this and uh, because there's a lot of at least for me and, and and my dad I feel like there's a lot of times he's like well I made these sacrifices so you should be feel comfortable making the same sacrifices and I was like well no you made those sacrifices so I wouldn't have to right uh, in 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 theory but but this idea of like any problem that you're dealing with any choices that you're making with you should listen to me and and really shown with his daughter and like him like saying oh you should definitely not date this guy uh because he can't take care of you and it's like no you're only doing that because you had to make that decision and but if you would go but it obviously didn't work out and you only saw the fact that you were like you're pretty well off now but you didn't see how hard it was and also to me it looked at like it also another angle I saw it from was just the idea of how like from his perspective he probably looked at this is the hard thing I'm giving up someone I I love to do this because this is a board thing and to me I'm looking at no, that's the easy way out because it's harder to stay with what you love and take the financial hardship. But you went and took the easy thing where you're like, well, if I'm financially fine, then I'll deal with this emotional hardship. But then it makes you take another step back and be like, well, then you you have a look at what's harder, financial hardship or emotional hardship. So it's got me thinking all types of things <laughs> and I'm going to have thoughts even beyond this movie which is why I love it so much. And the daughter herself, I think part of her relationship is she's a, she's a workaholic just like dad was. You know, there's that yeah. amazing montage oh. of him opening the store, closing the store, you know. Yeah. Um, oh. Drea, my, thoughts? Yeah, my um my parents immigrated to Minnesota from Nebraska, so it was a slightly <laughs> different setup than you guys. Um so it wasn't that side of it but what I found that I had such a personal and unexpected connection with this is I think we see a lot of films that explore um, mothers and daughters and films that explore fathers and sons. And it was such a unique insight to that, you know, the baseline relationship in this or one of them is a father and his daughter. Hmm. And I think that that's such a unique relationship and like every familial relationship is fraught with a bunch of potential landmines. Fathers and daughters are a thing of it's a, it's a special connection. And it's also one that I've found that the communication style is maybe the most different within it. Like I speak much more, more like my mother does, or I share and communicate and have a love language in a similar way to my mother. And less so than my father, who is like stoic Midwesterner. And I, there were points in this that, because I was expecting, you know, that great thing from movies, which I did get from this of the, oh, insult, 
insight to a different culture and how someone else is experiencing the world. And so when you see that shared space in there as well it it meant so much of there's just these big scenes where it's the two of them and they are so hungry for connection between each other and that it seems like it would be the easiest thing to just be like how was your day mine was like this and yet it is just an ocean and oh yeah and it was such an unexpected and my father and i have wonderful talks so cheers to the skipper but i i definitely <laughs> saw um elements of that of the you have to learn how to communicate with people even the people you love and even the people that you are like tied to forever it is not just an inherent part of um families or human relationships you have to work it in and i thought tiger tail in both the mother or sorry the father and the daughter but then also in his relationship with the you know the love of his life and then in his relation his ultimately failed marriage the idea of the work that goes into you know communicating and being part of a relationship is very real and you know it's one of the first things they always say in therapy like you you know relationships are such work and you're like well that doesn't sound fun Movies don't make it seem that way. Relationships are when you kiss and then the orchestra swells and then the end comes up. <laughs> I, I was thinking a lot about my mom, actually, even though this movie is about like you said, the father-daughter relationship. But there's that amazing uh, flashback sequence where they first arrive in America and he's working at the store all day and she doesn't speak English and she doesn't have any friends. And she like sees the one other woman in the laundromat. It's like, are you Taiwanese? And just immediately sort of like grabs on like a life raft because she hasn't spoken anybody but her husband in the last like two months or whatever and i remember that my parents had this sort of like pretty tight network of friends who were like other doctors from spanish-speaking countries and it just kind of made me appreciate oh of course because like who else did they have who else would they know and who else also spoke Spanish, you know, in Atlanta, Georgia, you know, that they could like hang out and have this social circle. So it really kind of made me appreciate the sacrifice. My mother came to this country, like not speaking English, not knowing a soul. My dad was already here, but he really didn't know that many people either. And how they were able to create this life for themselves and create eventually a life for their children, you know, and, and to, to go on to what if he was saying, like, you know, my father's a doctor and read into it what you will. All three of my older brothers are doctors. One of my older sisters is a doctor. Like he was very effective at kind of pushing that message of like, here's how you are financially secure and are able to raise a family. But I got to give him credit. By the time I was ready to like move to Los Angeles for the first time and do my dumb stuff, he'd stopped asking me, oh, can't you be a doctor and a film critic? Like he finally got it. You know? And so, so I, I love him for that. And I mean, like if he does your dad get what you do now or is it still an ongoing Ooh, thing? I mean n now and to be honest I feel like he gets it in the sense that he knows that I'm not poor but like I was going to college um, I was going to community college really didn't give a shit like I, I could care less and then once I learned that like no one was really holding me accountable for going to classes your boy just <laughs> didn't go so my whole first two years was a wash he was like okay I wasn't gonna I'm not gonna pay for this if you're not gonna go and then I had to pay out of pocket so then I was and this is when I was still trying to figure out what I was doing uh, mostly because most of my life I did say I wanted to be an actor I wanted to do this and it just kept getting shut down mostly because like my dad's like no like he it just 
there was it could not crystallize in his head how I can actually do that as a career. So like it's funny how like you think that oh if I stomp on their dreams enough it'll just disappear, but it's like no, it's just gonna I'll just sit in uh in limbo until I figure out oh yeah no that's what I wanted to do and I'm still gonna try and do it and, and I'm an adult so you can't stop me. What, was so there a, was there a goal for you like law school or something or just something that made uh, essentially like he gets me a job at the county and he gets and like it, at the time I didn't notice but he did that because he was like oh he's not gonna finish school so I'm gonna give him a stable job working for the government so when I finally am like oh I'm quitting this to do acting he's like I did everything I could to give you stable money and now you're just throwing it away and it didn't take him until like seeing like until like I did commercials and he can like show it to people uh. because immigrant parents, there's nothing they love more than to be able to be like, this is what my son does <laughs> for work. That scene stood out to me too, because one of the, you know, because your parents always have to give you some advice, even if they don't know what you're getting into. But my, my dad's advice was like, okay, if you're going to do this, uh, find the Nigerians, find, find other Nigerians. Yeah. And then like seeing that scene, it stood out. I was like, oh, because when he came to America and he was looking for work, that was what he did. He, he yeah. found his like fellow Nigerians, had that network, and that's how he found work. This is not a joke. All of my parents' best friends initially in Minnesota are from Nebraska. Like all of my <laughs> fake aunts and uncles. Yeah. Nebraskan. So I, I'm just saying, you guys, I get it. Um, yeah, you're down. So <laughs> something else on the tiger tail level, because this this was made by Alan Yang, who mm. I think most people know from his work uh, co-creating Master of None and then was also a TV writer, wrote for Parks and Recs, wrote for other uh, more comedic things. He wrote a gay film, indie I really like called Date and Switch, by the way, which no one's seen. But hey, maybe now you can look for it. Oh, fun. <laughs> I know that title sounds dope. I would watch that. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um I think that there is so much in Tiger Tail that of interest to me in terms of structure and of playing with um, playing with perspective. And I mean that in a broader way, not like your protagonist POV, but this is a film, you know, we've been seeing um, and we've talked about a number of Asian American films from the last few years and that there's been they've been growing and there's been more of them. And this is one I know on my side and Alonzo's presumably and possibly if he, I never know what you're up to. Um, <laughs> but the idea of, you know, having been able to see over the years, a number of Asian films, and then there's something about tiger tail that is a really curious perspective hybrid because it is, about this man who is an Asian American immigrant. And so a lot of it is these flashbacks to Taiwan. But it's also, to me, it was very clear, like Alan Yang's after the fact perspective, um, in terms of it was such an American viewpoint of things, of, of that a lot of it, it's the American dream in effect, right? Like I moved to America to try and raise money and all of these things. And yet a lot of the, the happiest times and the beautiful stuff, all of the beautiful stuff that's shot on like 16 millimeter and looks all dreamy and Juan Carwai-ish was from Taiwan. Do you know what I mean? The American stuff is, is the grimmer the, the dream yeah. of it is the most like rigid looking and so 
I found that perspective really interesting. Well, I, and I think you could make a case that that's how the character views it as well. That like, you know, his youth, his True. home country, his mother, the woman he loved, you know, like that all has kind of a, 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 a glow to it. And then the, the drudgery that happens when you just see him like, again, that, that, that montage of opening and closing the deli was just like so heartbreaking. And, and like when he, buy, he buys the keyboard and the piano, they're going to learn to play together. And then it's just covered with mail and shit that they've never taken the cover off of it again. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned Wong Kar Wai. I think Alan Yang has clearly watched a lot of Wong Kar Wai. Like there are a lot of moments of just uh, the way people will look at each other while smoking or the way that he'll use like vintage, you know, Chinese language pop music or whatever. Um, you know, I, 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 and uh, to differentiate, like this is by no means operating on a Wong Kar Wai level, but no. the influence is certainly there. And I think for a, for a first film from a TV guy, there's a lot here that's really impressive. The way that he has such a masterful um, control over the numerous flashbacks in this movie, it's always kind of hopping back and forth. And I mean... You know, it's always pretty clear where you are, mainly based on who's playing the lead character. Uh, but nonetheless, like he, it all he uses it all to cumulative effect very effectively and you're always able to know what's going on and it it it, it in no way feels like he didn't know exactly how he wanted to do this and and what he wanted to use that method for all right well uh let's uh let's go ahead and give that final review so would uh for the final review since we're still quarantined would you stream it over google hangouts stream it by yourself or skip it stream it on netflix party yeah yeah Netflix party uh, yeah wh- whatever the highest uh yeah google hangout sure the, 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 the highest score i i love this movie i was really impressed by it and uh it you know i cried <laughs> oh yeah. yeah i'm crying at everything these days so <laughs> it's really true. no surprise that this i have a softer made, like, touch right now <laughs> yeah you bring yeah, yeah yeah forget it if i see a census commercial don't even call me till thursday <laughs> But like, <laughs> yes, I would also vote for this. Um, the highest stream it over Google Hangouts um, and really take it in. I say stream it over Google Hangouts for our voting purposes. But if you have yourself a large screen, avail, avail yourself of it. I don't think I used all those words right, but you get it. It's a beautiful film to look at and a really nice. It's also a tight 91 minutes. This Mm. is normally the kind of film that's like, oh, we're going to be a good two hours, 10 minutes because you really need. No, it is. It gets you in and out. It is a beautiful piece that is not an enormous uh, chunk of your time. Yes. Enjoy it. Delicious. Same for me. Uh, Highest score. Stream it over Google Hangouts, Netflix Watch Party, whatever you could do to get more people watching it. Because, yeah, this is a beautiful tale. uh, And I truly enjoyed it. Uh, Yeah, that's all. That's all I really have to say. That's all you need uh, to say, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all. Exactly. Just a tight movie, tight, tight review. Uh, (laughs) But uh, we'll be right back after we hear from another show for Maximum Fun. So see you in a second. Hi, I am Lori Kilmartin. And I'm Jackie Cashin. Together, we host a podcast called The Jackie and Lori Show. Uh, We're both stand-up comics. 
We recently met each other because women weren't allowed to work together on the road or in gigs for a long, long time. And so our friendship has been unfolding on this podcast for a couple of years. Jackie constantly works the road. I write for Conan and then I work the road in between. We do a lot of stand-up comedy and so we celebrate stand-up and yes. we also bitch about it. We keep it to an hour. We don't have any guests. We somehow find enough to talk about every single week. So find us. You can subscribe to The Jackie and Lori Show at MaximumFun.com org or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, bye. Welcome back to Who Shot Ya. I'm your host, Ify Wadi Way, and in the virtual booth with me are Alonzo Duralde, Drea Clark. And now it's time to answer a call from the Who Shot Line. Casey, play that call. Hey, y'all. It's Carissa from Oregon. Wanting to watch it again a while back when it was in theaters, I invited a friend of mine who had liked Hereditary to watch Midsummer with me. To my surprise, she walked out of the movie, and it is still a point of contention in our friendship that I like this movie, much less recommended it to her. What films have you loved and shared with others that elicited strong feelings of rejection or gotten you in trouble with friends? Thank you for everything. Give my love to Drea's cats. Bye. Yes! <laughs> my cats good... feel your love! This is a really good question. Oh, very Mostly good Mostly because well, I want to unpack that question, friendship. Especially, <laughs> yeah, because... The three of us have such different, we all are people who are involved with recommending films in different ways. Like, I'm sure, and Alonzo, like, knows the difference of being a film critic. I can't even imagine the buckets of mail you've gotten in response. (laughs) But versus me as a festival programmer versus, do you know what I mean? There's just such a funny thing of we are people who actively are either speaking about or recommending films in a way that also permeates into our uh personal life of just like but it it's uh it shades our personal life like i'm held to a very high standard if i'm making a recommendation to my friends well that's funny i, I remember when when dave and i started going out he talked about how with, with the, the he said one of the reasons that he liked to hang out with me was that there were certain music or film choices that he had where people would just say to him why do you like this? And it's like, how do you answer that question? You know, but yeah, no, I agree. It it does become about the curation game. Like, okay, I know you like this kind of movie and this kind of movie. So I think this one will be up your alley. Uh, It's definitely a thing I've learned the hard way over the years. Uh, The, the first one that came to mind with this question, um, I was living in Nashville in 1988. I just graduated from college. I was still living there. And uh, AMC opened a 14plex. And so they had one screen that was always devoted to art house. And, and of course, it was all like art house that were those movies would show for like four or five days, maybe a week if you were lucky. So I got into the habit of every weekend just going to see whatever the new thing was because it was going to be gone. And I would tell, and I was working at the newspaper at the time, one that no longer exists, and say, oh, I saw this movie this week and I really liked it, blah, blah, blah. But I didn't, I never got specific enough, I guess, because a woman came up to me and said, well, I took a date to see Love is a Dog from Hell on your recommendation, and we did not care for it. And I'm like, well, I never said take a date. <laughs> also, the movie is called Love Loves is a the Dog, dog from, from Hell, hell. Madam. Yeah, it's like it's what a did Char- you think? It's a Charles Bukowski adaptation. Oh, you know, like, Jesus. Not a date movie, but yeah. uh, I got oh. very clear after that. Like, this is who I like. This is why I like this movie. And here's who I think it's for, you know. <laughs> I haven't lost any 
or I don't have any like lingering friend things in terms of films that I've recommended that they didn't respond. Although I did once say um, a film called The Dead Center is my staff pick. And then someone wrote us in to say that she watched it and was not impressed. She also was leaving us a very nice review. So oh. thank you. <laughs> it was still very funny to me. Uh, I will always love that. Mine is more the reverse. If I've picked a film and then the people that I've picked it for don't like it, I will judge them. So <laughs> my case in point, like my fam- I'm really putting the Clarks on blast today, but <laughs> the uh, our family, we went on a family vacation last summer and we had like, let's do a movie night. And I'm like, OK, I'm going to bring some easy peasy all around crowd pleasers. Did I play the motion picture waiting for Guffman? And did I have two Clarks leave in the middle to go to bed because they were bored? And then a few, I was like, oh, sweet God, I'm adopted. Who are you people? <laughs> like, <laughs> it, took, it took a while for it to recover and I still bring it up constantly. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just, I'm just bored. Yeah, with me, I have no movies, I, I think, that I've recommended that has made anyone angry. The closest I've gotten to this is uh, was a video game uh it was when i went to blizzcon and i played the diablo cell phone game that was a real point in contention with video game people because people were waiting for a new diablo and instead they got a cell phone game and uh and people are have been mad at the video game industry moving to cell phones even though they're the most accessible devices that people can play but you know video game uh fans sometimes don't understand that not everything is made solely for them and on the platform they want it to so what? someone accused me of being a shill that was my first shill oh, accusation they, ooh, they, they said fun. i was a blizzard i i sounded like a blizzard shill that person uh has since turned around and is a member of my community but i still will remind them that their first introduction was to me was to think i was a blizzard shill which, amazing oh uh, um, sorry i i can't hear you I, my apartment is crowded with all these checks from marvel <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, I feel like this is a good point to remind people that Alonzo Duralde is on the Jupiter Ascending DVD <laughs> for his positive review. Um, well, no, but I'll tell you, and I've mentioned this before on the show, I think when we were talking about um, uh, oh, fuck, the, the, the terrible movie that, that If He Likes, which I know doesn't narrow it down. Uh, Space <laughs> The video game adaptation that uh, that that um, was it was it uh, Warcraft. Uh, oh yes. yes, When I when I shit on Warcraft as it so richly deserved, <laughs> all the video game people came out of the woodwork to like read me because I'd given a positive review to the Dragon Ball Z movie, and I'm like. You know what? I stand by it. I never played Dragon Ball Z. I never watched the cartoon. I have no history with that that you know franchise. Oh. It's a fun movie. Chow Yun Fat is in it. So. Oh man. Oh. Well, thank you so much, and thank you to everyone who's called in. The number for the Who Shot line is WSY eight oh three one six six four. And now it is time for our staff picks. Treya, why don't you start? I am so excited about this week, although my staff pick is a film that was meant to be having a very sweet and small indie rollout right now and uh, theatrically, which has obviously been, um, sorry, did you hear my cat? Yeah, sorry. (laughs) She's trying to eat the cords. Um, (laughs) It was supposed to have a small indie theatrical, which has been stymied by uh, the world. However, um, the, the... distributor that's releasing the film has set something up so the movie is a film that alonzo will agree with me it is called straight up it is by uh director james sweeney who is a 
long-term little buddy of mine. And uh, it's a wonderful film. It premiered at Outfest last year. And it is it stars James, who wrote and directed it as well, um, as a gay guy who decides to try dating women for a while, um, mostly to evade his own, like, commitment issues. And it is a very sparky romantic comedy. It is a delightful view. It has beautiful dialogue. It it definitely, um, it name checks the Gilmore Girls because it is so much <laughs> in that uh, world. But I, I found it really thoughtful and so wonderfully done. And Strand Releasing is putting it out. And they've done something with a handful of um, independent art house theaters across the country for a virtual rollout. So um, similar to the Lincoln Center thing that we were talking about at the beginning of the show, um, if you rent or if you buy a ticket to watch it anybody can watch it but the ticket price will go to the art house theater instead of your normal like streaming devices and all of that so if you go to strandreleasing.com and the film is called straight up and um yeah i you're you'll enjoy it regardless unless you don't like waiting for guffman no, i'm just kidding no. <laughs> i have to tie those together but no it's it's a really charming delightful film and i think that they're handling this release in such an encouraging way and it's got real visual flair too uh, oh which, yeah you know, for a first time nice. filmmaker he's feels very confident that way yeah. so uh, and if you stick around long enough you'll see my name in the credits oh well there you go yeah. Reason enough to, to, to shell out more. Yeah. For uh, sure. So uh, inspired by this week's uh, Who Shot Line call, I'm going to bifurcate my 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 uh, staff pick based on the kind of mood you're in right now in the world. If you are open to a story that is pretty depressing and is very much about the economic hardships being faced by the working class right now if that's not a triggering topic matter if that's a if that's a movie that you're 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 emotionally ready to deal with i highly recommend ken loach's new film uh sorry we missed you which is a uh, you know loach has been making movies for like 50 60 years now and they're always about sort of the struggles of the working class and uh, this one feels so up to the moment it's about this guy who goes to work as a driver for like a delivery service that works for like, you know, Amazon and other people like that. Uh, but of course he's not an employee. He's a independent franchisee, you know, all this kind of the, the sort of jazz they do in the gig economy so that they don't give you any benefits and you can't take sick days and you'll get insurance or any of that stuff. And, he and you know he's doing that his wife is an at-home caregiver and she gets paid by the patient not by the hour so like the two of them are are just struggling to make ends meet to like be there for their kids which they really uh, find impossible to do because they're they're always having to be off at work and it's just about like how close they are to the brink and what happens when they get to the brink and so it is a very difficult watch it's a beautiful film it's couldn't be more zeitgeisty but if you're not down for that right now, if you're facing your own economic issues and you want something just like puffy and fluffy and escapist, the Stars app is carrying four weddings and a funeral, which is like the complete Ooh. opposite England in the uh, from the Ken Loach movie. And I had to watch it because I watched Love Wedding Repeat on Netflix and it was like the worst fucking thing ever. Uh, <laughs> we, I know we're doing a great Netflix movie this week, but the 
that they keep the hits coming with Love Wedding Repeat. It's unbearable. And it's trying so hard to be Four Weddings and a Funeral that I had to actually watch Four Weddings and a Funeral to flush it <laughs> from my system. I love Four Weddings and a Funeral, and I have been kicking myself for over a month because we had a Who Shot Line caller that asked for elegant swearing, and I did oh. not bring up Hugh Grant uh. saying, fuck, fuck, fuck. <laughs> For it's a whole true. scene in that Four is, Weddings. He he's is, the most elegant swearing in the world. He's a champ. Uh, but yeah, my pick, I'm going I'm to keep it fluffy. I'm going to keep it light, uh, you know. Uh, but I'm going to kick it off with a classic, which I will say, go and rewatch Rush Hour. Uh, a classic, yes. uh, classic Chris Tucker. It's, 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 I feel like this was like where Chris Tucker, because... Uh, what some people may not know is like right after Friday, uh, Chris Tucker took a a hit that a lot of uh, black comedians and rappers sometime hit is where they find God and decide that they don't want to curse anymore. They don't want to do. So that's why he wasn't in any previous Fridays, because he didn't want to curse anymore. He didn't want to do those type of movies. But then he found something within the Rush Hour series where he could still be funny without having to curse as much as he did in Friday. And he was just it's funny. Chris Tucker is a phenomenal stand-up. Uh, unfortunately, somehow not finding God made him not as funny uh, because his newest special, uh, you know, I didn't like as much. But you know, I love him as a performer. I don't think I anybody love... gets funnier after finding God. I just <laughs> going to throw that out there. <laughs> No, 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 no. Uh, prove me wrong. Like, I, I would love to hear some examples. Yes, please yeah. call in. Uh, but yeah, that's so, so I remember as a kid that really hit me because like I wanted him to do another Friday so bad, a movie I probably should not have been watching at that age. But yeah, no. Uh, but, uh, you know, we're going to move on from that. We're going to and think of the happy times and Rush Hour <laughs> and all these great movies and talk about our five-star reviews. Uh, if you leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we'll read it on air. And this one comes from Detroit Tiki. Love the podcast. Always get excited when I have a new episode in my feed. I have uh, I have to give a big Gen X red scrunchie to Drea for talking about Heathers. I saw it at the theater when I was 15 and it meant so much to me because it was the first time I heard from an outside source that high school was the absolute BS I always expect, uh, <laughs> suspected it to be. Alonzo's near orgasmic ooh when romancing the storm was mentioned made me laugh out loud. For streaming classic movies, how about a shout out for the Criterion channel? Yeah, ooh, yeah. Well, shout uh, that. Uh, <laughs> and please keep up the good work and let if you know there are lots of classic films from the 80s <laughs> El Norte, Do the Right Thing, Desert Heart ETC uh, thank you Kim Moon for Detroit uh, Michigan, uh, my my 80s they're still working stuff out was a slight shade dig uh, <laughs> uh, not an actual uh, take that I have uh, it's up to you to try and figure out who I was shading uh, next week shading. we'll be <laughs> We'll be discussing the anime classic Your Name with uh, my friend Danny Fernandez from Nerdificent. Again, the number for the Who Shot line is WSY 803-1664. Make it your quarantine activity calling into the Who Shot line. We love these questions. And give us an update on that friendship. I need to know, because to yes. me, I feel yes. like that there's there's other, there's other things You're y'all need to work out. You're leaving us dangling here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's so much more than Midsummer that y'all are working out, and we need to know. Uh, and just a reminder, you can buy a Jumbotron on our show by going to MaximumFun.org forward slash Jumbotron. It's a cool feature where we just give you a shout out on the pod. So if you want to maybe apologize to a friend for recommending Midsummer, <laughs> that would be a great way. You can buy a Jumbotron. Just we'll do instance. it and you can play. <laughs> 
<laughs> if you have a comment or suggestion about this week's show, tweet at us at Who Shot Your Pod. Our Facebook group can be found at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Who Shot Your Podcast. Shout out to the weebs in there uh, who got real excited that I kept talking about anime. It's not going to stop. Uh, or you can send us an email at Who Shot Your at MaximumFun.org. Our producer is Casey O'Brien. Our senior producer is our senior producer is Laura Swisher, and this is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.